Hi guys, welcome back. I'm Brianna. And I'm Demaya. And this is She Thinks She Knows podcast. So today we um, are joined by Springfield Family Doulas. Springfield Family Doulas is a local service here in Springfield and they offer um, full service and holistic, um, full spectrum doulas and holistic doulas, if I'm correct, um, in pretty much providing emotional support, physical support for mothers during, before and after pregnancy. I believe, I hope I'm saying all of that right. Okay. Um, I learned about Springfield Doulas through the cafe Garden of Eaton. I met Tanita and she was telling me about it. And so I thought it'd be pretty cool to have them on the show because I personally am interested in the process of motherhood and I want to learn more natural ways to deal with the pregnancy process, even though I'm not planning to be a mother. I still I find it very interesting. Uh, we don't have Maharo today, as you guys may notice. She was unable to join us, but she is still here in spirit. So <laughs> uh, without further ado, Tanita and Laconia, you guys can introduce yourselves. Tanita usually goes first, but I'll go first today. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I am the co-founder of Springfield Family Doulas. Um, Springfield Family Doulas came together because we wanted to provide um, culturally competent care for um, women in the community, specifically women of color in the community. So I'll pass it on to Tanita. Can y'all hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my name is Tanita. I am a full spectrum doula. And uh, I, am, I help moms with the whole process of birth, meaning adoption, abortion, um, contraception, um, was calling labor, delivery, prenatal, postnatal. So I, I pretty much deal with the whole full aspect of pregnancy. I am also a lactation counselor, which I help women when it comes to breastfeeding. And I'm also a placenta encapsulation specialist. So for the people that we've been throwing the world word doula around a lot. And so for some people, they don't even know, they've never even heard that term. So um, can one of you tell us what a doula is? Sure, a doula is, so we are a non-clinical professional. So we do have to get trainings for this. And what we do is we provide um, support, um, whether it be physical, emotional, mental um, support for moms and their families during birth, after birth, during labor and delivery. Because sometimes the, what moms need, uh, every mom needs something different. Nobody is like, it's not a cookie cutter. So one mom may need more support than another mom. One mom may need mental support and more of us being there to talk her through things. Another mom may need more physical hands-on support, whether it's hands-on support during labor or it could be hands-on support during postpartum with um, helping out around the house or if she has other kids and things like that. Um, it's a lot, it's a, it could be different things for different moms. So um, with that profession, it kind of seems like you guys have a lot of close relations with your uh, clients, obviously, and you spend a lot of time with them. So what caused you guys to go down that career path? Well, with myself, with myself, 
um, it, I chose to go down that career path dealing with my own um, personal issue that happened during my um, labor and delivery my, with my first son. It was kind of traumatic. I was by myself. There was a lot of things now that I know of that it was it was preventable if I had somebody that was on my team who could help me. Um, later on in the years, instead of being somebody who just accepted it and was okay with it, I kept on just learning more things that was happening in my after after I had him. I was learning more things that was going on with myself. So I just wanted to make sure that nobody followed the same path as myself. And the reason why we do have such a, a close relationship with our clients and it's very is intimate is because this is a very special time in a person's life. You know, it's a very intimate time, it's a very personal time. So we have to establish a relationship so that they can accept us to be in that most intimate time in their life. Because that's the time when a woman is kind of most vulnerable. So I can kind of um, answer that question for myself as well. I went into it um, pretty much same reason as Tanita, just, um, education, educated myself and wanted something different for my second birth. My first birth was okay, but I feel like I didn't have like a, a say in anything. I just kind of went in the hospital and they did what they had to do and baby was born, that kind of thing. But I wanted it to be more, as I became more in tune with myself, I wanted to be more involved in my own birth. So um, second time around, it was different. I had Tanita, as my doula, <laughs> but it was just, it was so helpful to have somebody there because even me being a doula and still, I needed a doula at that point because I was in pain and this was happening things were going on and it was just too much for me to like handle, handle being pregnant and getting ready to deliver a baby. So still having a doula there and knowing that everything's going to be okay. I was kind of able to be okay with myself going through it, but just having her support there the physical support and the mental emotional support um, there. So that's why I kind of went to it. I also went to it because it was just like, we are dying in the hospitals. We're not being heard in the hospitals. Um, it's just, it's, it's been a kind of a mess and it's been ongoing. And I wanted to be a part of the fixing, the help um, with that and the improvement of black women and their children coming out of the hospitals alive. So um, I wanted to educate myself on that. I kind of was going down that route anyways with school, um, but um, I kind of deterred to being a doula instead. So. so what are some of the daily tasks that you ladies do as doulas? Whether it be on the business side or um, working with um, your clients? And the aspect of something daily that we do, we, we kind of really do check up on our clients daily. I mean, that's one of the major ways how we establish a relationship is to make sure that there's, there is somebody to check up on them, see how things are, see how their appointments are, see how the baby's doing, see if they're getting enough water intake, see if they're stretching, see if they're walking, see if they're having enough nutrition in their body, what kind of nutrition they're putting in their body. Um, just making sure they have a solid mind, if they need to be meditated, if they need to be meditating, if they need somebody to just help them relax on the everyday anxiety. Um, some of the things that we just do every single day. Yes, we also, um, on the business side, just really outreaching um, to our community and letting them, know we're, letting them know that we're there. Also educating them on what a doula is and why it's important to have one. Or if moms don't even wanna have one, but just having that option to say, I can have one, 
or I know what this is and things like that. Cause it's always good to know what's out there and know what your options are um, on the business part. Just really outreaching, trying to get to like different parts of the community, WIC offices, um, the hospitals, having a relationship with them, the burden center, having a relationship with the burden center and, and also home births. So we're able to be able to provide that, that um, the services anywhere, you know? That's what we've been doing for the last two years. It's been working out um, and just really outreaching and, and getting out there and getting our cards out there so moms can have that option of, okay, yes, I want to do it. So one thing you mentioned was um, being having relationships with the hospitals, writing centers, even people with home birth. So um, one thing I learned was that doulas don't have the license to act to physically deliver the baby, even though they're a part of majority of the process. So how do those relationships with doctors and um, like midwives or whoever is birthing the child, how do those look? And have you experienced any conflict with that being doulas yourselves? So we're hired by the client and that's our main goal is just what mom wants, what the family wants, and we try to get it there. Um, and the relationship with either the home birth midwife or um, basic midwives and home birth, and I mean the birthing centers, it's been good because we're all there for the same reason um, pretty much is to focus on mom, what mom wants, making sure she has a healthy birth and a desirable birth at, at the same time, because birth should be positive, it shouldn't be negative. And that's our main goal. So most of the time we're like that middle person um, in the, specifically in the hospital, we're that middle person to kind of like, okay, this is what mom was saying and this is what mom wanted to do, rather than it be just um, midwife, not midwife or OB to um, client. Because sometimes they can tell you all this stuff and mom doesn't even know what's happening. So we go in there and we're like, okay, she needs a minute. And we're discussing everything that the doctor has told her. You know what I mean? So she's understanding what's happened. And that's called informed consent. Cause sometimes we consent to things and we're not even informed about it. And that's that's one of the reasons why we're, we really are in the hospitals and um, working with the midwives and OB. So far it's been good. Um, and it's because Tanita and I, we just really stay to our clients. We don't try to step on anybody's toes. Like you said, we're non-clinical. So non-clinical means we don't do blood work. We don't do blood pressures, vital signs. We don't do, we're not there to deliver baby, but we're there to help mom get through that process of delivering baby. And then also helping with um, breastfeeding. So the breastfeeding part is hands-on. Right after uh, baby's born, he's on, he or she is on mom's belly and we're helping with the breastfeeding. So that part is hands-on for the most part. So I have a question that um, just came up in my mind um, with uh, it being more known that black women are, you know, at higher risk pregnancy and so on and so forth. I was wondering if um, Springfield Family Doulas is the first um, black uh, doula organization in Springfield um, and I don't think we talked about it, but how long have you guys um, been up and running? So in actuality, officially, we it was our one year anniversary as Springfield Family Doulas on August 11th. So we were officially one years old. And, um, but as working as a unit, Laconia and I have been together working as doulas for about 
two years. Um, and we've been doulas for, well, I personally have been a doula for about two and a half, three years. Um, and it's funny because when we, yeah, I'll, I'll say three years because our kids are turning two. It's because when we were finishing um, our both of us finishing our doula trainings, um, we were actually looking for a doula for ourselves. Um, so I was looking for my own personal doula and she was looking for her own personal doula. And mind you, you know how you have cousins, but y'all like kind of distance cousins and y'all really don't, you know, conversate that much. So that's how me and Laconia were. Um, and then we were looking for a doula and then we happened to find out that each other was a doula and looking for a doula and pregnant at the same time. So, you know, I think it was pretty much our ancestors that was like, look here, y'all, y'all are the same and um, find each other. So that's exactly what happened. Um, and she became like my side doula because obviously she was pregnant too. And I became her doula, a side doula, which ended up being my doula for real. I ended up being her doula for real. So um, it all, it just worked out. And it just, it just, we just been in business ever since because we just had the same thing in common. And we wanted to make sure that people in our community had what we were trying to offer. And for us to be the first doula business in Springfield, yes, we are. Um, are there other doulas that were in Springfield? Yes, there are, but they haven't made it into a business as we have. Yeah. Nice. So moving more into it's actually, I wanted to go back. So it's actually amazing that you guys are the first black doula business in Springfield. And um, I was just we had, we had a um, conversation prior um, with someone else and they were telling us about all of the amazing things Black people are doing in Springfield. So I'm just happy that it's still happening. And this is just an example of that. So definitely congratulations on that. And um, I think that you guys will make a very big impact on Springfield because there will, I think we are coming into a time where, you know, being more informed about your birth, especially in the Black community with um, the morality rate, the mortality rate of mothers during childbirth being um, much higher. I think that this service will definitely be needed, um, is needed and will be needed. So um, going more into your business, what are some of the hiring, um, like the steps to be hired as a doula? What's uh, receiving service? You guys did say that you directly speak with the um, mother-to-be or the client. And so like, how, how does that work? And um, are these services accessible through like paying out of pocket, insurance? How does, how does all of that work? Yeah, so um, let me see. There's a couple of questions there. I'm trying to get them off. <laughs> but yeah, so a mom may see us through Facebook, Instagram, um, or our website. And we do free consultations for everybody. So mom, we get up there and we do it through Zoom for right now. Um, and then we just chat and talk about our services and what mom's needs are. And if we can make those needs, which we always do, <laughs> but just what um, the mom's needs are and our services and how we can help basically. Um, and the way, the way they pay right now, because the doula bill has not passed, but it is promising because it's, it's gone through like the first part of it. So it's hopefully gonna pass completely, but um, it's out of pocket. And we do sliding scale and um, payment plans as low as if mom wants to do $25 a week, we've done $25 a week, $50 every other week. It's always good to like hire a doula at the beginning. So you have so much time to pay for it and also a, a smaller amount to pay, you know. Um, so for right now, insurances aren't taking us, but 
hopefully cross fingers they do soon. Um, what was the other question you had? The hiring process. So how do you guys go about getting more people to work for your business? If you've been thinking about that, I don't know. Um, I know you guys sort of been, this is your one year. So if you guys have any plans to expand, how, how does that look? Well, really just um, coming together with other doulas that have the like mind as us and um, kind of guiding them to what we are having them understand what our mission is basically. And if that fits theirs as well. And if we can work good together, then yes. Um, and we've just been outreaching, talking to ladies. You know, we've been doing the vending events. There's so many black business vendings, um, vending events lately that we've been just talking to women, making sure we have their email and following up with them if they did want to become a doula. Right now, Tanita and I are not trainers, but we are working on trying to become a doula trainer so that we don't have to always go outside of our community to get trained and come back in. We want to be like, okay, no, this is, we provide this here. We provide training. We provide birthing classes, that kind of stuff, and have it be women of color instead of going out all the way to Northampton or, you know, just other places rather than here in Springfield at home. Um, so that's, that's what we've been doing is just really outreaching, reaching out to people, making sure we have their emails and um, seeing if they're aligned with what we provide. I really do um, appreciate um, some of the things that you hit on. One, the sliding scale um, payment option. I think that that is something that people should like perk their ears up to because, you know, one, you mentioned paying out of pocket. And so I feel like with a lot of um, women of color, color, that is already like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know how I'll be able to do this because like, I think that it's kind of taboo to hire a doula, to hire a midwife. And so um, the fact that you guys offer a sliding scale payment option is really great. Um, and then the other thing that you guys hit on in terms of training and not having to go outside of your, you know, community in order to get these trainings, I think that once again, this is something that people should pay attention to and appreciate about Springfield family doulas because there's a different approach. You're not just here to be a doula and receive the money from it, but you're here to help the community. So we appreciate that. Um, so, so far into your doula career, um, what what new insights have you guys gained or philosophies and how has this translated um into the ways that you live your personal life if any i need that question repeat it it was a long one <laughs> okay so what in this profession what new gain insights or philosophies have you guys gained and how do they translate into your personal life well, with myself personally, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Right. So with myself personally, I know with my, with our clients, um, we tell them when, it, when you when you have a surge, quote unquote, a contraction, it's like a roller coaster. You can kind of feel when it's coming. You can feel the ride. It kind of goes up all the way to its peak. And then it comes down. You got to wait for it to go all the way down until it stops. And I feel as if at that time when stuff is happening, when that surge is happening, you have to concentrate on what's going on. You have to breathe through it. 
you have to stop, acknowledge what's happening, and breathe it down. Same thing with life. If something major is happening. That's one thing that I've taken in. Something is happening that I can't control of. We're going to stop. We're going to breathe. We're going to ride this roller coaster out. And we're going to ride it down also. Because it's always going to come down. It's always going to come to an end. So that's exactly one philosophy that I've learned and I've taken with me into life. Tania, that was perfectly said. And I would go with your answer, but I guess I have to say something different. <laughs> but I guess, you know, it's funny because COVID hit, right? When we were really coming out as a business and things like that. And just knowing that, you know, just because COVID hit, that doesn't mean moms are gonna stop birthing. That doesn't mean babies are gonna, aren't gonna stop coming and moms aren't gonna need support. And they really needed it at that point. Um, and it was kind of tough because the hospitals was only letting one person in. Um, so we had to really be innovative. We had to be very, we had to be on our toes and it really, we had to offer it virtual. So we expanded our business to virtual too. And really being there for moms on the phone, we did Zooms and, and FaceTimes and, and Facebook Messenger if they didn't have an iPhone and just really making sure we're there. And moms, if they weren't able to speak because there, there's too much happening in the hospital, it was a lot going on in COVID, with COVID. The husbands were able to, or their partners were able to call, let me call the doula, let me call my doula and be right on the phone. And we were right there and we were walking dad through it. So dad could be able to be there to help mom. We do help dads too. We, um, we love having their partners in our um, consultations. Every time we do our prenatal meetings, we love to have the dads there or the partners there because they're part of it and they know their, their um, spouse the best. So we like to teach them things just in case we're not able to be there. And um, COVID was one thing where we weren't able to be in the hospitals, and but we were able to be in contact with dad face-to-face -face so that we're, he was able to help mom. Or if they had a question about, oh, they're trying to give me this, or they're saying this, or they're trying to give me Pitocin because they want me to speed this up. Um, and if mom didn't want it, she could say no, she can advocate for herself. So we help them advocate for themselves and say, no, thank you. I don't want it. I know my body's going to do this. I know it's natural and I'm just going to push through it and wait, that kind of thing. So I guess when um, disasters happen, because that was a disaster COVID, um, we still had to work through it. You know what I mean? It wasn't just stop. There's no babies coming because there, there was a lot of babies coming. <laughs> but just having to be there for the moms um, in, in a different kind of way. Yeah, I... I can only imagine what the environment was like in hospitals, especially during the pandemic when you're a mother-to-be and your biggest fear is like, is this a safe place for me to have a child? I, I, I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, the hospitals are like hot spots. Like they didn't let anybody in, but for some reason, nobody wanted to go in. So like, I definitely think that during that time when it's a lot of stress, a lot of stress happening, you're, you're a new mom or, or a returning mom, whatever the case may be. And that's like the forefront of your head. It's really amazing that you guys are able to sort of find your way through that, you know, in a timely fashion because it's necessary. And um, sort of like relating into like our journey with this podcast, we're obviously we're not doulas, but you guys are like essential. You, you guys were essential in that time period. We were still trying to adjust to the pandemic. It hit us like a wave. And we had no idea what to do. Like it, it put us on pause for like the longest time. So the way that you guys are able to just respond so quickly to it, it just speaks to your nature as 
as women, especially women of color. And it shows that you guys are super like genuine about your intentions with this, this business and the services that you guys provide. So it definitely shows and I appreciate it. Um, Thanks. Yeah, no problem. So not only one other thing that just really popped off with the hospitals, because like you said, it was a hotspot, um, home births. Home births took a major like upgrade on women saying, no, we're going back to how it usually was. We're going to have the midwife here. We're going to have this baby in the middle of this living room. No, not literally. But you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to do this at home, not with the hospital. And I think it actually, the pandemic also calmed people down when it came to popping babies in and out, meaning like at the hospital, let the baby out. It, it gave people or it gave women time to realize, okay, this is my body. Maybe I can calm down because um, actually the, um, uh, what do you call it? Per, when they had the baby fast, uh, help me out, Pony. Uh, prenatal, pre, help me out, help me out. When they had the baby early. It, um, um, baby. Premature. Thank you. My, uh, moms actually blood pressures have went down because of the pandemic, and then prenatal, prenatal. Uh, oh, damn it! What you say? Sorry. Premature. Premature. Thank you. Premature yeah. babies. They actually cut significantly amount. Also, it's because women had enough time to just calm down and relax and not be on a go, 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 go. So a lot more babies will actually do on time compared to being born early, which gave women enough time to also think like, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I don't have to get this. Maybe I can look more into what's going on with my body, you know? So it, it actually let alone let more, and then actually breastfeeding went up, like things naturally, things people do naturally. C-sections went, went down. Down, C-sections went down. Mm -hmm. Because women got to realize what was going on with their body. They got to calm down. They got to relax. They got to put their feet up. And they got to concentrate on them and their baby. You and know what that... Oh, Go sorry. Ahead. I was saying that, that made me think of how everyone's been talking about. Like, these pandemic babies are different. They're learning how to walk and talk. And, real fast. and the reality is it's because women are not doing so much while they're pregnant because they're stuck in the house. So... They can, exactly. if they need to exercise, get a walk, they can, but for the most part, they're not straining themselves. So their babies are just coming out stronger in general. So it's just kind of alarming because while we're thinking these are super babies, no, it's like, these are just what healthy babies look like, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And actually mom giving them time. Time because the world has you moving, moving, moving. Sometimes you'd be having a two week old baby back in the daycare. You know, because moms be trying to go back to work or they're trying to get back to doing, not even letting their whole body relax. And that's one thing we try to educate moms to do also is how to how have them learn how to relax their body, how to not be concentrating on this, that, and this. It's okay for having your house dirty for a little while because you have a fresh new baby and you're both learning each other. You know, it's okay to relax. It's okay to take a bubble bath with the baby on top of you to just relax. You know, your body needs it, your baby needs it, and your mind needs it. So those are the things we try to tell mom now, even when the world is getting back to how it used to be, hopefully, hopefully. But as people are getting speeding up, these are things we want to tell mom to remind mom that, look, you have to calm down. You have to relax. It's, it's okay. You know, and, and whatever I can do to help you, let me be that service for you. I really appreciate all those uh, little statistics that you guys just gave because 
I definitely wouldn't have known that. And I don't think many people know those things. And so, like you guys talked about, you know, there hasn't been a lot of, there has been bad throughout the pandemic, but there's been really great throughout the pandemic as well. And when we talk about life um, and giving life, I think those statistics that you guys just gave, like, are amazing. So thank you for that. Um, with that being said, this is a great time for us to take a break. So um, we're here with Laconia and Tanita, and we'll be back shortly to get more into their personal life and pregnancy, as well as just some tips and tricks that they can give um, new and young mothers. Hi, everybody. We're back with Laconia and Tanita from the Springfield Family Doulas. Um, before the break, we kind of got into some of the ins and outs of being a doula and their motivations for becoming a doula. And in this second half of the show, we're just going to get to know um, what having a doula is like from their personal experience and we're going to get some tips and tricks um that they can give to young mothers um or new mothers so without further ado the first question after our break is um earlier you touched on being a holistic doula laconia so we were wondering um if you can if you guys would be willing to elaborate on the difference between a holistic doula and a full spectrum doula. Um, for me, as a holistic doula, I like to just take in mind with the birthing person, the mom, um, just really their mind, body, spirit, and having and having paying attention to all of that during pregnancy because at different stages of the pregnancy, different things happen, you become more stressed or you just become mentally more stressed or physically. I like to make sure that I, I tap into all of that with the mom because I wanna deal with the whole person, not just the pregnancy. Um, and that comes with, I've, I'm training Thai massage. So that's like light, you know, it's almost like stretching. So basically when you're pregnant, you know, things are happening, your body's spreading, you're, Muscles are relaxing, um, just you're just you get aches and pains and things like that. And with Thai massage, you're able to like kind of um, help soothe those. Um, also, I'm trained in Reiki, um, Reiki too, which is also like about mind, body, and spirit. So it's really letting the mind and the body and the spirit just really relax and come to a point where you can just. Because when you need when you need stuff done, or if you're like aching, or you're in pain, or there's trauma, anything like that, the only way to really heal from that is being still. And it's hard for us to do that being busy. It's hard for us to do that being pregnant. It's hard for us to do that being. I mean, sometimes it's difficult. You got kids, and you're pregnant, and you need to cook and clean, and it's just so much. So it's taking that time out, even if it's just 45 minutes to an hour, to just really be silent and quiet and I just kind of work, work over mom's body and um really just it's all about energy everything is energy so if you're getting you're getting aches and pains that's just energy that's built up and it's causing trauma it's causing pain so what I do is I just use my hands and I just kind of let the universe do its thing so I'm just the tunnel but 
just let it do its thing. And mom, always, moms always feel good. I don't do this just for moms. I do it for everybody else too, but specifically for moms, it's so helpful to get that hour, that 45 minutes of just pure relaxation, um, just laying down, not having to worry about nothing, really having your mind be blank so your body can do that process that it needs to do. Um, and with Reiki energy, it's really just, you ever have a, let's see, you fall off your bike or you you hurt your elbow or something like that as a kid and your mom, what's the first thing your mom does? Go like Let this. Me Let yeah, me. <laughs> that's energy right there. So that, and it makes you feel better afterwards. So as an adult, that happens too. We stub our toe, what happens? We, we go to touch our toe. We hit our funny bone, we go to touch our funny bone. You know what I mean? It's just um, energy is everything, touches everything and just really being silent. Um, I like to bring that into the doula world when I when I'm with my moms because it gets it gets crazy. Even for me being a doula right now and being pregnant, I'm like, oh, it's especially that last trimester. It's just like you're heavy, you're tired, it's hot. You just want to be done and over. You want to have a healthy baby. You want to be home, and that's it. So sometimes with me, I just gotta really. I've been really having to take a step back, especially at the at night when everything's calm and everybody's asleep, and we really just breathing, taking a moment to just breathe and stretch lightly, and then I can go to sleep peacefully. But it's really mind, body, and spirit. Um, really having that whole body, the whole person, and really paying attention to all of that because so many things changes throughout your pregnancy. And just because you're, I mean, even if you have, you're on your second birth, third, fifth, you're always a different mom. You're always a different, it's always a different birth. And when you birth in somebody, a baby, you're birthing yourself again. So now postpartum, you're dealing with this new person. Like, you know, people are like, oh, she changed her, oh, this and that. No, this mom just birthed herself along with the baby. Every time you birth, you birth yourself too. And it's like, you got to get to know yourself again and figure yourself out. And that takes time. Like Tamita said, that postpartum period is really important to really tune back into mom. Baby is fine. You're breastfeeding or you're bottle feeding, but really mom needs that attention so that she is getting that support she needs to be able to heal. Um, so yeah, what did I say? And I do um, herbal medicine or I... <laughs> I'm a certified herbalist. I was going to say, because she don't never like to mention it. And I was about to say, she's an herbalist too. Hello. Yes, yes. I, I do that. So um, I do it um, just in life in general. But with moms, it's helpful because they need to be replenished. Even during labor, if she wants a tea instead of water or, you know, whatever she chooses, if she wants some kind of tea that's nourishing her throughout her labor and delivery, then I'll, I'll make her a tea that is um, filled with... Um, nourishing herbs or postpartumly if mom's having trouble breastfeeding or if she I mean we don't do that's not the first thing to do but like if she wants some kind of herbs that help increase her supply then I can help her with that um it's just a lot of different or if you want a foot soak foot soaks are good you want a bath and you want to bathe with herbs herbs is good to bathe with um one herb I like is calendula because you can use it for the whole family but baby's first birth um, use calendula that's so soothing for baby and it's so natural and it's so gentle on the skin um and go on and on about calendula and herbs but I will not um one more thing though calendula is good for um I make salves so like if the baby if you don't want to use the thick diaper cream that's in the um stores and everything like that you can just use calendula or it's gentle it's thin it's soft and 
within a day, you'll see a difference in the baby's diaper rash and things like that. Um, so I do do a little bit of herbalism. Um, and I think that's it. Oh, meditation. So every time we go see our clients, I always end with like a guided meditation or a guided stretch. So like mom is able to feel calm, at least for that half an hour to 45 minutes or whatever, she's able to like breathe and be calm and sit in her pregnancy and connect to baby because sometimes we forget to connect to baby. You know, just putting your, placing your hand over your heart, placing your other hand over your belly and really connecting to baby because we're so on the go. I know I am too because I had two little ones at home as well and trying to entertain them and feed them and do this and do that. I forget to be like, oh, I need to give my baby some love. You know what I mean? So it's just having that time for moms to be able to do that and recognize it and remember it and know that it's it's just it's natural. So I guess that's it. <laughs> I would like to say though, even though um, I'm a full spectrum doula and Laconia is a holistic doula, we work very very close together. So um, during the process, after our full after our um, first consultation, um, if a client does decide to go on with us, they'll decide if they want the full spectrum doula myself as their main doula, or if they would like the holistic doula, Laconia as their main doula. The difference between having both of us or just one of us is that um, by, by just having one doula with you, we're the one who's gonna be contacting you, we're the one who's gonna be visiting you. You know, There may be a one or two visits that we both come together um, just to see how you both doing. Um, but throughout the whole process, we are both, um, we both know exactly what's going on with all of our clients. So even though you picked me as your main client, I'm still letting Laconia know exactly what's going on. You know, if there's something that I can't help you with, let's say for instance, I'm noticing my client is like stressed or very anxious about just having a birth. Me and Laconia might come to the next appointment and she might do like a little meditation with you or, you know, so she might give you a little herb to calm down. Or if there's something that you have a question with and I don't know the answer with, I'll ask Laconia if, if there's something dealing with like Reiki or time massage or something that she may have more of expertise in as well as vice versa. If someone has is with Laconia and they have more of a, like a more technical question something going on with the hospital if they should do their blood sugar anything like that go ahead Connie. She needed breastfeeding questions. She has been a breastfeeding counselor for what eight nine for ten over, years. Yeah for over so ten years. All the nicks and nans and tricks to help mom if it's a difficult um if they're having difficulty breastfeeding so I'm always contacting Tanita and she's always got something I was like dang okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it's always a uh, it's always a tip or tap when it comes to her. She's the yin to my yang, Laconia is. So we always know <laughs> we always know when to help each other out or what's the exact thing that the client might need. So in reality, while someone could be labeled a full spectrum doula, together you guys really make up the actual full spectrum of a doula. So that is actually correct. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, getting into sort of your pregnancy experiences, Laconia, I know you're, um, you said that you also are having a, a new, you are pregnant right now. Currently you have two babies yourself and Tanita, I believe you have, you have one. Yeah. You have a, you have, you have two. Oh yeah. Okay. So can you guys speak on, can you guys speak on your pregnancies and what that experience was like? Um, yeah, I, I would just be curious to know. Sure. Uh, my first pregnancy, I was asleep. So, I mean, 
I was asleep. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. I just knew I was tired all the time. My body was going through this extremely change and I did not know what was going on. I just knew it was tiring and I was asleep. Um, I did know um, that I <clears throat> wanted to know something. So I did go to a birthing class, but what I noticed, you know, I still remember the birthing class now. And I also remember now the birthing class was more focused on giving birth at, at the hospital and if ands or buts about the hospital giving birth and the things that you should do for the hospital, not necessarily what's going on with my body, what I need to know what's happening with my body, the things to relax while I'm in labor. It didn't inform me anything of that. Um, so ha my water broke when I was having my older son, who's now going to be 11. So my water broke and I called the midwife and they told me to wait and which I didn't understand that. So I thought I was supposed to go right in the hospital. Cause you know, that's what the TV shows you your water break. You go right in. So I thought I was supposed to go right in. She said, no, stay home. And I was like, why? But not realizing then that, you know, and I really didn't have no point to go in water breaking. You have literally almost up to a day to go in depending on, yeah, it's a lot of information that they don't really tell you. So I didn't feel no contractions, but I still, my water was breaking. So I just decided to go in, you know, with me going in, they also gave me an option. Are you feeling any contractions? I was not feeling no contractions. So they gave, it was a snowstorm too, back in 2011. So they gave me the option to, I can go home or I can walk around the hospital or I can be admitted. They gave me three options. My option, my water broke. Duh, I'm supposed to be admitted. Yeah, that was the wrong thing to do. Now that I know now, I would have went home. I would have went legitimately home. Not even walked around the hospital. I would have went home. Um, be, being admitted in the hospital, that's when your time starts clicking when it comes to the bills. And so they're cheating you like, a, like somebody who's, you know, wasting their time pretty much. So as soon as I got in there, my contraction still wasn't going. Why? Because it was my first birth and your body takes a very, very long time to have a baby when you are having your first birth baby. So I never had, I didn't have no contractions. They gave me Pitocin to start it because why I'm on their time clock and I'm, I'm admitted and I need to be hurry up and rushed out. So they put me on Pitocin. What Pitocin does is a fake oxytocin, which oxytocin is the love hormone that's in your body that actually releases love, you know, but it also helps, it helps actually does contractions too. It, it, it helps you have contraction, the oxytocin. Pitocin is fake oxytocin. So they gave me Pitocin so that my contractions can start. But what was really happening is now that I know it now, the Pitocin makes your body have contractions without your body being prepared for the contractions. So you know how I just told y'all about the roller coaster prior? You don't have no roller coaster. There's no feeling the beginning. There's no rise and escalate. There's no downfall. There's only top, 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 top. So it's like your contractions coming, top, 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 stop. Contraction, stop, 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 and then stop. So there's no way for your body to get used to it. So what happens? Your body goes into distress, baby goes into distress because y'all both are not prepared for what's happening. So that's what happened. So the majority of times when you get inductions, mom have a greater response of getting an epidural. I didn't want an epidural prior because I didn't want nobody sticking nothing in my back because people don't tell you also when you get an epidural, you have to be perfectly still during contraction, during, during anything. You have to be perfectly still when that needle goes into your back. Why? Because it could paralyze you. So I kind of knew that. So I didn't want an epidural because of that fact.
So, and then when I tried, well, obviously some things was hurting, but also my body wasn't ready for it. So there's contractions. So I had to get an epidural, but you know, there's nobody informing me these things. These are things that I'm just learning because these are happening to me at the time coming. And now when the doctor is coming to me and saying, okay, yes, I need some pain. Yes. I need to help me. Just help me. Just stop it. That's those are your first thoughts. Not realizing there were other medications that I could have been taken. Not realizing I could have did like two, three, four other medications before I had that epidural in the first place. Not realizing even though they told me I could be admitted to the hospital, I could have still left and walked out. I didn't have to stay. These are things that people didn't tell me or I didn't know because I'm admitted. I'm not in jail. I can go home, but I didn't think about that, you know? So anyway, epidural time. I got the epidural. Um, and now when you have an epidural, you can't get out of bed. You have to be perfectly still in bed. You can't really move. You can move where they tell you to move, whether you can try to move, but you can't. You basically can't. So you pretty much, and then I had like um, all the equipment on so that they can hear the baby's heartbeat and everything else. Um, but I was able to move just a little bit. At the time, I think the epidural was wearing off. So I got up and I went to the bathroom. And when I went to the bathroom, everything fell off. So they couldn't hear the baby's heartbeat no more because all the equipment fell off. So I went to the bathroom, I had to go to the bathroom. So now me and my children's father at the time, we tried to put everything back on. And when everything went back on, I tried to get back into bed. And then all of a sudden all the nurses and everybody rushed in there talking about they couldn't hear the heartbeat and I had to do emergency C-section. Not realizing, I'm trying to tell y'all, no, no, everything fell off. No, no. It was like, no, no, we didn't hear anything. It stopped, blah, blah, blah. So the words out of my mouth, you're not listening. You're not hearing nothing that I'm telling you. So now I'm doing this major surgery with y'all not listening. Now, what if something happened to me on this bed? You weren't listening to me when I told you that nothing was happening, that this thing fell off. So now I'm in the bed having a C-section and they put the drug in me and whatever drug that, that what the drug that they use, you know, to numb the bottom of your body so that they can have a C-section. It felt like death. Literally like that. I felt like I was cold and I felt like I would have closed my eyes and I would have never woke up. I felt like there was nothing to ever relieve that coldness that came forth for me. So I told myself I would never, ever do this thing again because I literally didn't even know that there was going to be a child coming out of me because I couldn't feel nothing because I was just so cold. Mm, so that was like the worst feeling ever. I see my baby for a quick second and they brought him to me. And they put us like literally right here. They nipped the baby on me at that point in time. It wasn't that baby friendly at that point in time. So then we went to a recovery room. And I remember going to the recovery room. They had me on the bed and they had the baby in the corner. And I remember asking the nurse who was across the other way, if I can see my baby. I remember, can I see my baby? Um, can I hold my baby? Can I touch my baby? And she kept on telling me, no, no, you can't. No, you can't see him. No, you're recovering. No, the baby's over there, he's fine. No, I have to finish putting this stuff in the paperwork. No, and I'm literally begging for my child. You won't let nobody come in the room to see me. You won't let me see much. I can't get up because the epidural hasn't wore off yet, but you won't even let me put my baby on my chest. That was a major problem. So now when everybody is coming, trying to come see me, you're stopping them at the door and not even letting them in. That was a problem. So with all that happening, I wanted to make sure that I did, first of all, that I didn't go through that again. Secondly, that no mom would ever experience that, what I went through. 
So the second baby, which was actually nine years later, <laughs> long time, I had a doula. Um, I was well informed of what was going on with my body. Um, so when I was having contractions this time, I was actually at a client's house because, yeah, I'm like nine, 10 months pregnant and go, still going to see clients. So I went to go see a client and I'm like, oh, y'all need to calm down because I'm having a contraction. So I'm telling them that I'm having a contraction. The difference with this contraction is now I can feel the difference. Oh, let's back up a little bit. That first, that first birth, when I went to an epidural, the reason why I knew that if I have another baby again, because I sat through two contractions while they was putting an epidural through my back. So I was like, if I can do this, like, I felt like it was too late now for them to say stop because I didn't know in my mind that you can say stop. But if I can sit here still going through this contraction while you're putting this needle on my back, if I do this again, I'm not not doing this. I'm not having this Pitocin. I'm not having this epidural because if I'm staying still with this epidural, I can do it naturally. That's what I told myself. I told myself that long ago. So I told myself that it's my next baby. So that was like a little willpower and I was like stubborn, but yeah. So this time, seeing a client um i'm going through a contraction after this mind you she lived like on the second floor and it was like so many steps i think literally that's what made me go into labor but that's neither here nor there so coming down the stairs i get back into the car and go home and i start cleaning or whatever but i still start feeling contraction and i tell um my children's father at the time i'm like yeah i'm in labor he was like no you're not and i'm like yeah i am because he's like well you need to calm down and sit down and i was like no, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, which was like washing dishes, cleaning the house and stuff like that. Like I was just doing everything uh, because I realized that I just need to keep on moving. And if I can breathe through them, then things are fine. So around that was like around 12 o'clock afternoon. That lasts until like around seven. I called my doula like around when they first started. I texted her, let her know, hey, I think something's going on here. And she was like, I'm coming. I was like, no, don't come. So she really didn't come. She kept on checking up on me every hour and calling me on the phone, seeing how I sound, because you can literally hear how somebody sounds and if you need to come or not by how they're sounding and if they're in labor. So around seven o'clock, she called again. And I was like, mm, you're okay. She was like, I'm coming. So she came, <laughs> she heard the difference in my voice. So she came anyway, and I was like in a bathtub and then she seemed like I went through like another contraction. So she was like, I'm lucky I came now. So she, we are just contracting around the house. I'm on a birthing ball. I'm using a peanut ball. These are little things that we use um, and bouncing around, making things okay. I um, also was laying down in a bed, trying to relax while these contractions was going on. Then when my, um, when it got really, really serious, I thought I could handle it. My doula was like, no, we're going to the hospital because I guess I was like screaming by then. And so she was like, no, we're going to the hospital. And so we like literally just had to go to the hospital. And so as we were there at the hospital and they, they like heard me like screaming and stuff too, because it was got, it got really painful by then. And we, when we got to the hospital, we got to the back door. Um, they checked me and they said I was nine and a half centimeters. So it was pretty much time to push the baby out. And um, I also distinctly remember when there was a lady, I was there screaming in the hospital and there was one nurse who told me, okay, you're in the hospital. You can stop all that screaming now. <laughs> she was talking to the wrong one here. Um, excuse me, lady, you can leave out of my room. No, you can leave out of, no, leave. So I legitimately <laughs> told that nurse, to leave out of my room because you're not going to tell me how am I going to birth. This is my birth. This is my body. You don't know what I'm experiencing right now with my body. So you can leave. And she did have to leave. 
Okay. So me being nine, nine and a half centimeters, why wouldn't you think that I wouldn't scream when there's a whole baby coming out of me? Okay. That's for one. For two, my jeweler was right there. She was advocating for me. She was telling me to breathe. She was telling me to relax. There was a midwife there and they just let me just birth how I needed to birth. Um, they let me sit up. I wasn't laying down on my back, which I did not want that to happen. Nobody touched me. Nobody did anything I wanted them to do. Didn't want them to do. I didn't have no kind of needles in me. I didn't have anything. So all they let me do was birth my baby how I wanted to do. And then he came out and they put me, they put him right on my chest and I was able to nurse right then and there. And it was a much better experience compared to the first experience. It was all natural. It was what I wanted. I felt empowered. I got to do the things I wanted to do. My doula gave me comfort measures and she comforted me when she needed to. And it was a black and white experience so different wow. wow i honestly when you first started with your story and you were saying all the horrors i'm like oh my gosh like <laughs> the people go through like like that whole epidural and needle i'm like no like no i can't like, right i never no like it just sounds very horrifying and and very frustrating like even for me i'm like listen to him, i'm like are you kidding me like i'll be <laughs> people out like you know um but it's clear that you had a much better turnout when you had assistance and when you knew yourself and it also it also shows that even in their first experience like you you knew even though you didn't know you know what I mean like you you understood okay this may not be the best this is probably not right and a lot of people don't they don't know that they think this is the best way to do it I'm gonna just trust the hospital I'm gonna right. do what you're doing and um like that idea of not being able to hold you because I I see certain things on like Instagram and things and they talk about like the breathing process and one thing that um, I learned was that when you have your baby, the, the first contact is very important. Like your baby needs to know that it's you. And when you're in a hospital, you have all these gloves touching your baby when they're delivering it, you know, you need to be able to, that child has to connect with their parents. So when, when I found, right. when I heard that you weren't able to like see your child, that, that just sounded crazy to me. Cause it's like, but that's right. very important. Like they shared a heartbeat. You guys, you know, you you shared a body. How could you not be able to touch them now that they're here? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, and, and another thing that I learned, um, which I didn't know before, I was under, I had the assumption that once you had a C-section, that it was much harder to have a natural birth. I had no idea that you still had the option after having a C-section because a lot of the times I heard like, once you have a C-section, that's it. Like from that point on, it's going to be much, much, much harder for you to have a natural birth. And so often- Yeah, that's not true. Wow. That's crazy. And that's why we are here to inform. I was so fearful to inform our woman. Yeah, because I was so fearful of that. Like when I heard that, I was younger when I heard that. So I was like, what? Like, no, I, I, mean, I was just no. learning about the birth. And I started looking up home births and I was I'm like, I don't want to have a C-section. And so, you know, they definitely do tell our women that um, especially they they will definitely tell our women that women of color that before they tell any other minority that um, for different reasons. One, it's easier for them. Two, when I say them, I mean the institution. It's easier for them. Two, they they legitimately get ten thousand dollars more when they have a C-section compared to a natural birth. Okay. Um, secondly, if you ever realize, and there's if people have a C-section or scheduled C-section, is never around the holidays. It's never a holiday. Nobody really has a birthday around the holidays because they want their time off also. Okay. Um, another thing also is your body. If your body has time to to recover, you can have a natural birth. Like there's no ifs or buts about that. Thank you for letting me know. Cause I, I also think that C-sections are super like 
they're risky, like they're very risky. And even though they perform them so much, it's like, that's, you know, the op, the probability of that going wrong is still very high. So it's mm-hmm. just kind of crazy to me how people would just, oh yeah, like I'm just getting a C-section. This baby needs to come out. It just seemed like people weren't really attaching themselves to the process of having a child more so than it was just like, I want this to be done and over with. And right. I mean, I'm not a parent, so I wouldn't really know the thought process of when you're in labor and how that feels. But I would still imagine that it's a emotional experience that you should be fully connected with because at the end of the day, it's your, it's your child, you know? So that's the product that you're giving to the world. So the, the process should be the most peaceful in my opinion. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for sharing your experience. You're welcome. Honestly. It definitely gives me more hope for when I'm, you know, at the age where I'm having kids and I'm, I can be more informed about that whole process because I was terrified. Like I was so terrified of the the whole process, I'm like, oh my gosh, like the videos I would see of people giving like water births. I was trying to research all these options. I'm like, I don't want to go to that hospital. I don't want to be cut out. Like, so that definitely gave me a uh, more peace of mind. So thank you. Awesome. And we're here for you no matter what. So, so my birth, um, I have a seven-year-old and an almost two-year-old. Um, let's see, my first birth with my son seven years ago, I had him in the hospital. Um, I wanted to do everything natural back then too. But once I got to the hospital, um, the contractions hit, I got in the hospital, they, they were like, you're four centimeters dilated. Do you want any pain medication? I was like, yes, please. And I sat still for that <laughs> medication. I got the epidural and then four hours later I had my baby. But in between that time, it's kind of crazy because like when you have the epidural, you're just kind of like, there, like Tanita said, you're not moving in bed. I didn't even get to get out of bed. I had to use a, a um, forgot what you call it. But anywho, but yeah, a so you had like a pee pad that comes underneath yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was just weird. But the thing was, I just went along with it, and it was just like I just did whatever the midwife told me to do the help, you know, I did whatever they said and I just stayed in bed. The bad part about that is I had the shivers. I had, um, I was itchy all over my body. I was, um, I had a really bad headache and those are side effects from the epidural. And then I wasn't able to like feel when to push. So like when it was time to push, I mean, also my midwife broke my water, my bag too. So that didn't naturally break, she broke it for me. And then after that, I was getting ready to push. And she was the one telling me when to push because I couldn't feel anything, um, which was kind of annoying, but I didn't know at the time. So I thought that was just like normal. Um, I did have, you know, I had family in the room. I had my son's father in the room. So I did have people in the room with me, but I feel like I had a little bit too many people. So if I had a doula, she would have been like, you know, cause I had my sister's best friend there. I had my, my son's father's sister there. It was just a lot of people in the room and I wasn't, that wasn't what I pictured anyways. But yeah, so that was my birth. It wasn't very traumatic, but it wasn't like I was in tune with my body. I felt what was going on. Um, I didn't feel any of that. I was just like, looked at the midwife to say, when to push, push now, okay, stop pushing, okay. Push now, okay, stop pushing, okay. That kind of thing. It was just like, ugh, I was just listening to whatever was going on. But fast forward seven years later, I am a doula, I am informed, I am educated, um, and I have a doula. Tanita was my doula. Um, my second birth was in the hospital as well. 
Um, but this time I wanted to really do it natural, not just say I'm gonna do it natural and then go in and as soon as they come in, they didn't offer me with my first son an alternative to medicine, to pain medication. I didn't even know back then, back then that there was an alternative to pain medication. There was comfort measures, there was counter pressures on your back or you know, just your foot rubs to kind of get through something. I didn't realize that that was possible or even existed. But anyways, fast forward um, seven years later, I have not seven, yeah, seven years later, I have my daughter and um, I have a doula there. I'm at home laboring with my boyfriend because Tanita taught him the comfort measures. So she didn't have to come right away. So I just stayed at home when my water broke. I stayed at home. He was doing comfort measures. I was bouncing on my birthing ball. Um, everything was good. And then I realized I feel like I needed to go. go. So I text Tanita and she was like, I'll meet you at the hospital. Um, we went to the hospital and things, I was upset at first because I went in and they was like, oh, you're only four centimeters dilated. I'm like, dang it. I wanted to be like Tanita and be nine and a half and ready to push and get out of here. I was so upset with myself. Tanita, then Justin was like, she's upset in there because she's only four centimeters. <laughs> but anyway, which is crazy because next thing you know, I'm admitted and they got me in the room and I'm just like all over the place. My birth happened within an hour. So from four centimeters to 10 within an hour, it just happened so quick. I couldn't even get like a grasp on, grasp on anything. Um, it was just crazy. But Tanita realized she was looking at me, realizing that I was transitioning, you know, there's different parts of labor and that I was transitioning and that this baby was coming soon. She was on it. She was doing comfort measures. She was talking me through it while the nurses are asking the same questions they asked me when they admitted me. What's your birth? What's your address? What's this? The da, 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 da. Can you, can you wait until she's done with this contraction, please? Please. That's what I I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you need that you need that person to be like you know she's can you can we we can wait a minute for that question and these are questions they already asked me when they were going to admit me anyways but it was just like it happened so fast so it was just insane and I don't even know what to say to me because I kind of was out of it after a while I was just like oh at, at one point I was like I gotta push like my body wants me to push the nurse is like, no, you're only four centimeters. They just checked you, which they did just check me and said I was only four centimeters. But I was like, my body is saying something different. I just, uh, Tanita whispered in my ear. She said, listen to your body. And when she said that, I let go. And once I let go of all my muscles being tense, my body did that fetal ejection where you, you, your body just pushes baby out. And that was, that was that. But it was, I mean, there was a lot of stuff in between that happened within that hour. But for the most part, it was just like, once she said, listen to your body, I just let go. And that fetal ejection happened where my body just pushed baby out and um, everybody rushed in and it was kind of crazy afterwards and things like that. But it was just like, you know, I needed to need it there. If she wasn't there, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what could have happened or what would have happened, but it would have happened the way it did. Yeah. All right. Can I a lot of times in a hospital when people are about to have birth baby or about to and you feel like they need to push a lot of times the okay first of all the nurses can't deliver the baby so they'll tell you to stop stop pushing to no you can't do this no you can't do that telling you to go against what your body is naturally doing because they're trying to get a doctor to come in there because they can't do it so just like she said when i told her to listen to her body 
her whole body relaxed compared to her tensing up and keeping that baby inside and not doing what her body was supposed to do. That can harm her body and the baby more than it can do some good. But that's what they're telling you sometimes to do that, to just mm-hmm. to stop. How can you stop what your body is naturally supposed to be doing? You, can, yeah. you can't put a time limit on the, when this baby is supposed to be coming. So mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to literally tell her to, to listen to her body because her body is the only one who should be dictating what's going on. And that's it. And once she relaxed, that baby just came out. That baby just came out. Mm-hmm. And yep. then she lifted the curve and said, oh, there go the head. Oh, yeah. You think? <laughs> I really do appreciate, you know, you guys talking about tuning in and listening to your body. Uh, Tanita touched on it earlier, and I could just picture it when Laconia was talking. But in TV, like, all the doctors, all the people are in the room telling you, telling you to push, push, one, two, three, four, five, like push. And so once again, I didn't even know that one, the epidural doesn't allow you to feel when you have to push. And so that's why they're telling you to push. And so throughout this conversation, um, I really appreciate all of the literally facts, like information that you guys are giving because literally nobody would know these things if you guys weren't here to give it to them um and so what are some of the crucial habits that um young mothers to be can can practice to ensure a healthy childbirth i would say education 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 because once you know then you're informed and you can make a decision that's that's for you and your family. Um, Cause if you don't know, then you ain't, you're, hello? Okay. So <laughs> if you don't know, then you're just gonna go with whatever they're telling you or whatever they're feeding you. And you know, just to go on with like C-sections and things like that. Some people do need C-sections. C-sections are for emergency uses. So I wouldn't say C-sections are always bad but they're for emergencies. They're not just, you know what I mean? Um, I just kind of wanted to touch that. But yeah, and water, <laughs> water, water, drink your water. I mean, that's something as simple as water that can, you know, people have Braxton Hicks all the time, water. People have headaches all the time, water. People have body cramps all the time, water. I mean, especially when you're pregnant, your body, your baby just sucks everything up. Like that water intake is very, very important. Yeah. Honestly, I when you were saying the body aches, my body cramps up when I'm dehydrated. Like I get yeah. cramps in my sleep and I'm like, dang, like when's the last time I had a jug of water? Like when's the last time I actually had right. a full bottle of food? Like my daily intake of water. And so I would imagine that that's crucial. Um, I had a question. Um, it's just something that I was thinking about and I seen about the um, umbilical cord, how they cut it really quick, like, um, when you're in the hospital, they tend to cut it earlier than they need to. And I've seen something about letting the umbilical cord empty out so the baby can get the last of the sutures. Now, can you guys speak on that? Because I was always curious about it, but I never really seen anything about it other than like kind of let your baby take the rest of whatever is there since that's sort of what they're being fed through before clamping it. So do you guys have any thoughts on that? Sure. Laconi, would you like to go or would you like me to go? Um, It doesn't matter either one. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Oh, me? 
Okay, so so with the umbilical cord, you want to wait till it stops pulsating because that's blood for baby. Um, there's so many benefits to baby getting that extra as a bolus of blood. It's almost like somebody losing uh, it's equivalent. I forgot the amount to a, uh, an adult losing blood by just cutting it too soon. And it takes about three to five minutes. Some people leave it on for an hour um, as well, but it's just so important to just wait those few minutes so that baby can get that last bit of blood. Um, but I can honestly say now at Bay State, or I'm, I know for certain Bay State, um, I'm not quite sure about Mercy or any other hospital, but I do know for Bay State for right now, I mean, right now, they do like to wait until that, that um, well, the midwives likes to wait until it stops pulsating. Um, they do wait until like three to five minutes. They put the baby right, right on you once they have you, and they do wait that couple of minutes before it stops. Um, also, if you have a C-section, what they do try to do now, if it's a healthy C-section, nothing's gone, they try to, instead of cutting it, they try to milk it which they try to milk the baby, all that blood, instead of just cutting it right away. Um, so the hospitals right now, OBGs and midwives, they are understanding the, the importance of it. They did understand the importance of it before because that's why they're always trying to keep stem cells, which that's the stem cells that they're getting from is the blood that circulates through mom and baby, that goes to the placenta. That's pretty much the stem cells that they can use everlasting that can become anything else. Those are the stem cells. So um, my baby receiving all of that, they're getting their iron actually is more improved. The um, when they have jaundice, they actually don't have they have less jaundice by receiving on their blood. There is more benefits. They have less diabetes, which is one or two later on in life by having all of their blood and stem cells. Um, so there's plenty of uh, benefits from them having that. Um, there's a lot of things now. People keep it on, like she said, three to five minutes, maybe an hour. Um, for myself, when it came to my second son, I tried to. Um, I was gonna do a lotus birth, which is let it fall off naturally. But then I realized it was a hard work. So it pretty much <laughs> stayed on for like two hours, and then it was like, yeah, this got to go. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, everybody does it pretty much different, but all I would tell moms is to pretty much do more research on them. If they were one of our clients and they need more answers to what we can give them, we will actually give them evidence-based information on um, cutting the cord and cutting it too soon, as well as cutting it too late. We will give them information on lotus birthing and everything else that they may need to have information on. Well, thank you for that. So, can I just say one last thing, Demaya? Yeah, of course. Um, birth is natural. Birth, we've been birthing our babies for centuries and it's it's a natural process. I know nowadays people are like scared and nervous and it's just um, a lot going on, but we have to remember that it's natural. It's beautiful, it's sacred. And we tr that's what we try to um, educate our moms on that this is natural, your body's born to do this, you know, and that it's sacred. And we try to keep that space sacred for moms as well. Um, I want to thank one more time, uh, Laconia and Janita for this great information that they're giving to us today. It's, we already knew um, both of these women um, from the garden and from just being around, we actually have, I've, we spend a lot of time around them, but it's really great to be able to have this conversation and get to know more about what they do um, for work um, and just get to know 
things that I literally would never know. And so I, I really want to keep thanking you guys. And the next time I see you in real life, I'll probably thank you again, because this is going to be so helpful to um, ourselves, our guests, I mean, sorry, our audience, even our other guests, maybe, you know? And so uh, thank you again. Um, if you guys want to give the names of your social medias and where people can contact you. Um, now is the time to do that. Okay, you can follow us on Instagram as well as um, Facebook, Springfield Family Doula um, Services, Springfield Family Doula Services on Facebook and Springfield Family Doulas on Instagram. Um, we have our website, which is www.springfieldfamilydoulas.com. You can also um, write us on the email if you have a personal question that would you would like and um, it's springfieldfamilydoulas at gmail.com so thanks again to Tanita and Laconia for coming on our show um, if you are now listening to She Thinks She Knows podcast um, subscribe to us on YouTube at She Thinks She Knows podcast as well as follow us on Instagram at She Thinks Pod um, to catch up and to follow for our new content. Um, bye.